I've professed and, and believe that the four cornerstones to trust and frankly, a big part of resiliency and IRA, yes, I'm a huge fan of anti-fragile versus, versus what other people think it is and that's more sensitive. But I think those four cornerstones are authenticity, empathy, logic, and perseverance, which is a major attribute and component of resiliency, right? Welcome back everyone to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Geek Skeezers Googleization. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. I'm Ira Wolf. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We're the voice of the most important conversations on the future of work that are confronting business leaders and people today. Our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the ever-changing convergence of business, technology, and people. If my voice sounds a little raspy today, it's because we're living in a sea of smoke outside Canadian air. And then we also had local brush fires, so a bit crazy. And it's very eerie out there. I don't know what it looks like on your end, Jason. Yeah, it was it the same. Like we had baseball practice last night and it just did not look like he's eerie is the best way to put it. It didn't look like a normal sky. Yeah. And and that fits in well with a lot of things we're talking about. I guess our world is pretty eerie and weird going on. I, as you know, I recommended to you just last week, as well as probably a dozen other people so far, finished reading a book called Tomorrow Mind. And the co-author was one of your favorite people, Martin, Marty Seligman. And I just can't recommend the book enough. But one of the conclusions is that resilience is the number one superpower we need to have in order to thrive and flourish. And, and many of you might have heard that before. And, you know, I've been talking about adaptability being the number one superpower as McKinsey and World Economic Forum and resilience is part of that. So we're all talking about the same thing. A lot of people agree. And I know our guest today, Scott Abbott, would because we're going to be talking about the resilient leader and we're going to be talking about business operating systems in this new never normal world and the importance and how they're changing. But I'd like to challenge everybody for one thing when we talk about resilience and resilience may not be enough to maybe enough to survive, but it may not be enough to thrive and grow. So Again, resilience is basically being able to bend over backwards and twist and turn, but we don't necessarily move forward with that. It allows us to move forward, but we need other skills to be able to do that. So I know everybody's focused on resilience, but I, I want to introduce kind of a new concept. And, and some people may have heard this before, but you know, having spoken around the country and everything, I, I find that that's, this isn't true. So let's explore four different ways people respond to challenges, crisis, change. And each one represents maybe a different variation of resilience. So imagine this scenario. We've all been through this. We've, we've focused, we were focused on a tight deadline, just trying to get something done. And the, our computer crashes, our hard drive crashes, our screens go out. And this just happened, to, if you remember, Jason, a few months ago to me. So yeah. what happens next? So how we respond fits on this continuum of, of resilience. So at the one side, we have fragile. And I think everybody's familiar with that. If, you, if we had a delicate glass and we drop it and it shatters into a million pieces, 
And they're, they're people that are fragile. They don't shatter into a million pieces, but they, they crack and crumble under pressure. They're unable to adapt and recover. But let's say your computer crashed and, and, they, and the computer operator is basically paralyzed, emotionally, becomes emotionally and mentally detached, may even become depressed, and, and it brings productivity to a screeching halt. So, but let's go to the next level. And, and a lot of people talk about being robust. And, and when you're robust, you picture kind of a, a sturdy metal safe that may, you may put your, your belongings in your, or a steel beam. Most people are familiar with that. It can, it can withstand quite a bit of stress and blows without even being damaged. And a little resilience in there, but most People who are robust or organizations that are robust possess, as I said, a certain level of resilience and a lot of grit. When their computer crashes, they get annoyed. They quickly find the solution. They pull out their backup. They plug it in and they're off and running again and oftentimes without skipping a beat. But then we get to resilient, which is the, the area that most of us talk about. So imagine, you know, the rubber band or better yet, imagine your coffees in in a plastic cup. We've all been there. And as it's following, you expect it falling, you expect it to shatter, but it doesn't, it bounces. So resilient individuals have the ability to recover and adapt to challenges pretty quickly. Or when their computer crashes, they feel a momentary setback. You take a deep breath, they look for a couple options, and then they just move forward. And like the ball in the cup, but like the ball in the cup, they're, they're really no better. They're no stronger afterwards. So now brace yourself. And here's the concept I want to get across today. And I can't wait to hear what Scott's yeah, take is on this. That is, if you took, most people think the opposite of fragility is resilience, but it's not. It's actually anti-fragility. And I didn't come up with that. You can look it up. So what's that look like? So it, imagine it's pretty windy out here today, imagining a, a big tree and we're watching it bend, it bend, but it doesn't break. But at the same time, the, the, the stronger the winds and the more that happens, the roots tend to grow the root, and, and the tree becomes stronger. So what we really want to become is not resilient, but anti-fragile because anti-fragile individuals thrive in the face of adversity. They don't, in, in, keeping with their computer crashing theme, they don't just recover, but they become better at it. They get rid of the old garbage that's in there. They upgrade their system. They learn some new skills. They add new software. They find out what the new features are. So we're experiencing change that the we're, none of us could imagine. And when the most brilliant minds in the world, like Steve Cook and Elon Musk and Uval Noah, Uval Noah Harari have been caught off guard by things like ChatGPT. The key difference that we get with anti-fragility is not only do we harness the chaos, do we address it, but we find new opportunities within that for growth. So today we're going to be talking about how do we embrace change and use these use a, a cha- all these challenges as stepping stones to a better success. So we're really grateful to have Steve today talking about the resilient leader and evolution of business practice operating systems. But first, real quickly, we're going to talk about our one of our favorite segments, the perfect labor storm. So that's where we talk on each episode, we focus on something disruptive, surprising, or worrisome that we believe you should know. 
So a couple studies just came out and Go Business Plan was one of them. And it had a staggering 71% of the world's fastest growing businesses have plans or operating systems. But only 35% of smaller businesses even start them, even take the time to, to create them. And according to Harvard Business Review, 95% of employees don't understand their company strategy. And it's not just that the business struggles with this. Only, it's not only businesses struggle, but only half, less than half of nonprofits have a written strategic plan. Yeah, a lot of that is shocking, Ira. And what you just shared made me think back to how things were just four years ago. Very few people were working from home. Mental health and well-being in the workplace were reserved only for the companies, really, that were already satisfied with their profit margins. And the concept of something like the Apple Vision Pro, which we just saw was put out just this week and is making quite the waves, the Apple Vision Pro four years ago, it would have had one use case. And that was to be used by gamers for immersive gaming environments. But now with how many of us have shifted to remote work, that the utilities and use cases of Apple Vision Pro are going to be absolutely incredible. And so this is a brave new world in which we find ourselves, but it's not simply focused on technological advancements. Check this out. Just this week, a company called Time Etc. made the news in a big way, and it was for a very bold and forward-thinking reason. They replaced all of their managers with coaches at a ratio of one coach for every six employees. The CEO got the idea for this change by, get this, listening to his people. They told him what they needed in order to work to the best of their abilities, and that list included things such as goal setting, feedback, personal and professional development opportunities, and autonomy. So the CEO, Barnaby Lashbrook, he recognized that what they were communicating was a need for a coach, not a manager. So talk about updating a core element of your business operating system. And I share that to suggest that, yes, there's going to be some practices or processes that we keep in the future of work in terms of what it means to run optimal businesses. But there's going to be other concepts, for instance, like maybe the concept of managers that may become obsolete and give way to better practices and processes. But underneath it all, this needs to be codified and easily understood and executable by all team members, including in the future, AI agents. And there's no one better to help us understand business operating systems of the future than today's guest, Scott Abbott. So without further ado, let's give a warm Googleization Nation welcome to my friend and, and mentor, Scott Abbott. <laughs> I, I, I can't see all those people clapping, but um, I'm sure they're there somewhere. And thank you for that. Thanks, they guys. absolutely are. Absolutely. Well, we're thrilled to have you on today, Scott. And as you heard, there's a lot going on in the world, as you well know. But maybe before we get into the, the meteor elements of what we talk about today, let's just kick things off by letting our listeners know a little bit about you and the work that you do and how you came to become one of the world's foremost gurus on helping businesses create the right operating systems. Well, guru is a big word. Thank you. Uh, one of my values is humble confidence. And so I would say guru, maybe not, but certainly am doing my best to, to be as, as knowledgeable as I can when it comes to business operating systems and, and, and moreover, the best mechanics, principles, strategies to help people succeed and prosper in business, work, and life. So Ira, with your, with your intro and Jason, with your comments and having listened to the show before, love the theme, love the purpose, the why. 
of the show and, and what you guys are all about. So first and foremost, thank you for having me. Thank you for the show. All of us are better off for it. So we, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. So, you know, 35 years in business, 57 on this earth. I can, you know, probably say my purpose, cause, passion, borderline obsession, and given your intro, borderline activism is helping companies and moreover, the owners and leadership teams of those companies do as best they can in, yes, business, work, and life. And, and because of some of the dynamics of the world today and this word systems, which seems to get both thrown on the bus and it's a pejorative and the good and the bad, I do believe as Isidore Sharp, the founder of Four Seasons Hotel said, systemize the predictable, dehumanize the exceptional. I actually believe that the more intentional and, and focused and disciplined and rigorous and resilient and all that good stuff you are on good systems, the more we actually free ourselves up to be better human beings. So that's my, that's my obsession today. I, I do it as an advisor, as a coach, as an investor, as, a, as a, all the above. And uh, at the same time, I try to have some fun in life and take care of my family and friends. Absolutely. And, and you eat your own dog food. And I'm not saying that just because you, your new dog, Harley, is in the background, but you do. Anytime yeah. that you're, you're focused on growing or stepping into a relationship to, to help invest in companies, you always make sure one of the first questions you're asking is, what kind of operating systems do we have in place? What do we need to do here? So a question for you, you heard at the outset in our segment, The Perfect Labor Storm, there's still so few companies, surprisingly, that are still running on an operating system of some kind. In, in your wisdom and expertise, why is that the case? Well, you know, truth be told, every company is running on a system. And, and we believe there are five definitions of those systems. But I would say to your data, 90 plus percent of them are what we call an accidental system, meaning that by happenstance, they fell into, they decided, they just started working from the way that they do what they do. So everybody's running on a system. The question is, is it a great system? Is it built for them specifically in terms of who they want to be, where they want to go? How does it bring together all of the, the nine core competencies and the elements around people and structure and goals and productivity and all that good stuff, right? So, you know, I like to joke, everybody's on a system in work and life. The question is, how good of a system is it? And with that, I mean, if, if people are running on accidental OS, then how how do we get them from accidental OS into, into a better operating system? And maybe even a, a tie into that, Scott, before we get too deep into this, we may have some listeners that are like, okay, I'm hearing you guys talk about an operating system. Well, what is that? What so is maybe that? start with a definition of an operating system and then an example of what a good one might be. Yeah. You know, a, a good business operating system brings together, I said earlier, the nine core competencies, but it effectively ensures that your vision the way you execute, produce, and get things done, the way you measure, manage, and report, the way you ensure collaboration, culture, teamwork, alignment, especially in this virtual hybrid world, is organized. It's documented. It's measurable. You know, there's an old quote attributed to Ronald Reagan, although if you watch the TV show Chernobyl, he took it from the Russians and then he used it kind of against them. But that quote is trust but verify. And especially in today's era where we've got literally five generations in the workforce, this hybrid reality that we're in, and then all of these dynamics, both good and bad, popping in the world. You talked about the new Apple device, chat, GBT, AI. I mean, <laughs> to quote another movie, 
Kevin Costner baseball movie, right? We're dealing with a lot of stuff. And so what a great business operating system does is it brings together all of this stuff and ultimately helps you ensure that you're doing things smart, you're healthy, you're productive, you're minding your P's and Q's, you're hiring right, people are, are confident on the roles and responsibilities, and they're doing that X's and O's, blocking and tackling. I like to talk about running a companies like building and owning a great home. And without a foundation, just like a chassis in a car, you, you just don't have that confidence to get from here to there. So in simple terms, a great business operating system is like a foundation to a house or a chassis to a car. And it brings everything together so you know what you are, who you are, why you do what you do. So do they, they being customers, the market, suppliers, employees. And so that everybody's hopefully living in harmony, working well, and producing the results that, that you want. That's it. So Scott, obviously to, to accomplish this, I mean, it, it, the, the operating system, good, bad, or indifferent, accidental or planned, doesn't happen in isolation. It requires leadership. So I want to explore two things with you. First, we titled this The Resilient Leader, and you talk about that in your bio and what you've done. So wanted wanted to talk about The Resilient Leader, get your take on the anti-fragile. I don't know. I assume you might be familiar with that that model. 100%. And and, and so where does that fit into this? But also you had, uh, and, and I put this out early on, you talk about managers and leaders being custodians. I mean, I love that concept is that they're a custodian of the business. It's not just that they're in charge of a business operating system or they're not just in leading and managing people, that they're actually a custodian, which means that the business, the responsibility is to transfer that business to the next generation in as good or better shape than what you had it in the first place. Amen. So yeah, I'm kind of a fan of the of the mantra, the theme, the temperament of architect, builder, and custodian. And I think we're all that, whether you own a company, you're an entrepreneur, you're the CEO, or you're the dishwasher, right? At the end of the day, I, I, I go back to one of my values on humble confidence. You know, I don't want cocky, arrogant, aloof, abrasive, but I also want to know that my pilot is confident and is going to land us and my surgeon knows what they're doing. And Anybody who's in a position of, of, of importance and, and ensuring that people are safe and taken care of. So, so you know, as I listen to the start of your, your show and, and the question right there, I, I think the, the challenge with the world today is, and I will say this, I said it to Jason many times when we've gotten together. I think 98, maybe even 99% of humanity are good people. They mean well, they want to do well, they get up in the morning and want to be a positive influence and contributor and and they go to bed feeling the same way. We just have a society because of technology and what's going on at this time, right? Life and business go in seasons where it seems like we got all this finger pointing. But but it's just a small minority. Unfortunately, in a world of billions and just in the states 350 million, you know, 1% of 350 million is still a lot of people that are doing goofy nutty things. And so I think at the end of the day this concept of What's it take? It's, it's all of the above. Jim Collins has been very forthright on this one. It's, it's vision, it's brawn, it's head, it's heart, it's, it's planning, it's strategy. And so a big theme for me is end both. And I think when you talk about management, I get the idea of coaching, but not everybody's a great coach. And there's a challenge that I have with that one. 
If you're not equipped and qualified, I've actually seen people get the label and assigned a coach and they actually screw things up. So I believe in what's called LMTA, Leadership Management Teamwork and Accountability. And, and if you have a great system where you blend context and content, you're able to accentuate and nurture and develop decent leaders into really good leaders. And on the inverse, right, management isn't a negative, it's a positive. Because really what you are, Ira, to your point, is you're a steward, you're a custodian. Your job is to make sure that things are good, <laughs> that the dishes are clean, that the, the trash is put away. If you're the CEO, man, that's the coolest CEO in the world. You guys have heard of the inverted pyramid and servant leaders, great leaders. Embrace and appreciate that custodial concept because it's just more sincere and genuine as opposed to, again, title-based and, and I'm the boss and do as I say. And Scott, with, with the work that you've done with so many different companies, you don't have to give names. Obviously, we don't want to get you in trouble here. But can you give us what are some of the characteristics of the ones that really stand out in your memory that got it? And they had incredible operating systems where their people were cared for, then their people were taking care of the company and making advance. And then on the flip side, who are the ones that just didn't get it and, and couldn't get it together? And what were the reasons for that? Yeah, you know, I think I've been uh, accused of being a 50-something-year-old millennial, so I'm pretty active on social media. And uh, my midlife crisis is I started getting tattoos. And, and this tattoo is grace and grit for perpetuity. And, and I would say the... the the awareness and appreciation of the duality of grace and grit is 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 a key foundational. If, if they're not great at it, at least they understand and appreciate it for leaders to get from here to there. And, and then by extension, their teams. You, you know, I think, again, back to concepts around leadership, management, teamwork and accountability. But I, I've professed and, and believe that the four cornerstones to trust and frankly, a big part of resiliency. And Ira, yes, I'm a huge fan of anti-fragile versus versus what. Other people think it is, and that's more sensitive. But I think those four cornerstones are authenticity, empathy, logic, and perseverance, which is a major attribute and component of resiliency, right? And so when I check in with a prospective client or an investment, and I want to get under the skin and go deeper than the spreadsheets and the, and the business plans, you know, guys, I'm, I'm trying to go into the DNA side of things. I'm, I'm wanting to know what makes them tick. I'm wanting to know, can I trust and entrust their head and their heart? Uh, again, back to the concept of stewardship and custodians. And I would say a central theme in my life today is, is this concept of end both and just ensuring left brain and right brain and culture and economics and, and production and sensitivity. And therein lies the rub. It's hard. It, it's, it's really, really hard making things simple. It's not easy to go from what you guys said at the start of the show in this conversation to execution. And again, yes, um, I'm, I'm very partial of business operating systems. Uh, I'm an investor in one, full disclosure, 9090.io, a very popular, globally recognized digital business operating system. I've got other companies that specialize in helping small startups, early stage and large mid-market companies implement business operating systems. I, I actually call them company operating solutions when you get into bigger companies. And, and again, I just think it's important to appreciate, embrace the fact that context and content, head and heart, code and, and, and collaboration, all those things got to get together. But let's be honest, it's hard. And so thanks to business operating systems, especially if they're good ones and they're digital and they're software based and they're 
proven and they got all that good qualities about it, that's half the battle. Most people make it up. Most people just assume. Most people believe that their business, aka what they sell or serve to make money, is the same way that they actually run the company. And wrong. And that's why 92% of companies go out of business. There is a distinct and important differentiation, distinction, and synergy between a company and a business. And if you read Collins, Porter, Drucker, and these guys, that's what they'll tell you. Companies run businesses. Businesses that think it's the same way as running the company can't scale, can't grow. And if they do, they do it with a lot of frustration and pain and herky-jerkiness. So again, great systems coupled with great people doing the right work at the right time. I believe that's how you ultimately uh, ensure resiliency and more success and, and, and as important, less frustrations, bankruptcies, and all that stuff that typically happens with small companies. Having sat through more meetings and planning sessions and in, over my lifetime than I care to, to think about, how did how do you how do these how do the companies you work with avoid getting bogged down in building the process and systems? Because especially if you're working with a technical group that they love the details, dotting the i's, crossing the t's, talking about it, thinking about it, holding meetings, and all of a sudden no work's getting done. What, what's your what's your holy your magic advice your holy grail to say how do you make a, a blend of both and yeah well I would actually in my opinion I think it's the inverse that causes more problems it's not that people are focused on on implementing and and aligning two systems it's that they're basically just they're they're, they're blowing in the wind man they, they they haven't attempted even to go there or they just assume it does. So, you know, again, not to overtoot our business operating system at 90 and, and what we do at Boss Up and Stratacos, but to your point, this concept of compartmentalization and, and ensuring that you have structure and protocol and, and, and frankly, rules. You know, this is another thing about society today. It's like systems and rules have become bad. No. Actually, if you think about the world we live in without systems and rules, it would be absolute chaos. The problem is, is that people ultimately are behind systems and rules. So I read to your point, the importance of an appreciation of, let's say, the Pareto principle, for example, the 80-20 rule. Well, flip that on its head. We know, and, and it's been proven, that on average, 20% of most companies do every day in a day out generates 80% of the results. And so what I would advocate for is let's get that 20% that generates the 80 down right. Um, why do we hire smart people if we tell them exactly what to do every day? Right. So let, if, if you can imagine getting 80 percent of your objectives down, your key performance indicators are met, your, your objectives and key results are ultimately substantiated. Right people, right seed, all of these great concepts written by great authors that are out there in the world. And, and effectively, you maintain a really good B to B plus average. That actually is great to live in a world where you're thinking it's always going to be exceptional and fabulous and and superstar, rock star, all that good stuff is, is really kind of silly. Uh, that's going to get you into trouble and cause a lot of heartache and heartburn. So, so to your point, Ira, if you've got a good system, not only will it help you to figure out what is the right weight, amount, and, and literal input that you do in terms of your vision and execution and structure and, and scoring and reporting and measurements, and big one is meetings. So, so we think in our system, if you do it right, we actually, in about six to eight months, the average leader will save about 35 to 40% of their time. Because, Ira, 
while they're doing and running and working really good in a system, that also frees them up. They're going to have a lot less meetings. They're going to have a lot less interruptions. The whole concept of rocks, everybody's heard this concept of rocks. A rock is a project program or initiative that you're prioritizing to get done, give or take in the quarter. It, it comes from Stephen Covey. And Covey had this concept of an aquarium with rocks, pebbles, sand, and water. And, and that's basically the elements that, that are in your world. And if you put it in right, you mentor it right, you manage it right, you take care of it right, you, you can have peace and calm and, and, and get things done, right? So, so counterintuitive as it sounds, the better you are at building, embracing, leveraging, nurturing, maintaining great business operating systems built for you, be careful the ones that say it's all about them and their book and their way, because it isn't. It should be about you, not them. But when you build a business operating system built for you and it does what you want, how you want it, man, I'm telling you, food tastes better. There's more hours in the day. You can spend more time at home. And I'm very sincere. You said don't mention names. But on average, I've helped 100 plus companies. I think each owner would tell you, yeah, 25 to 35 plus of my time. Now I'm biased. I, I, I'm like what I, I, like, I like to think of myself as a humanitarian capitalism capitalist. So of that, of that time savings, put 50% back in the company, grow it, scale it, do more, and then do what you want to do with the other time. Serve in the community, join a not-for-profit, go spend more time with your family and kids, think about other things. But yeah, I would just close on this and say, I hear you. Systems imply, wow, a lot, meetings and structure, that's bureaucratic rubbish. Yeah, it can be, but if you do it right, it's actually freeing. And as Jocko Willing says, discipline equals freedom. And that's what happens with a great business operating system. We've been listening to and having a conversation with Scott Abbott. Are you listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization show? We're talking about business operating systems, resiliency, anti-fragility. You, you blew over something earlier on, and we're going to do this as soon as we come back from the break, Scott. You mentioned competencies and, and skills, but you, you kind of just blew it off. I'm going to come back to it because that's, that's my thing. And talk about what are some of the skills and abilities that people need to build a, a, a thriving, flourishing organization to build these, but also to, you know, I, lo I love your quote in the beginning, to, to humanize the exceptional. Not your quote, but Isaac Sharp's, uh, Isidore Sharp's quote, to humanize the exceptional. And, and how do we do that? And how do we do that uh, through a, a business operating system? Now, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk, we're going to talk about growth mindset for a second, and we will be right back. Are your employees feeling stuck and just showing up for a paycheck? Is your workforce working harder to get back to normal than adapting to the future? It's time to help them break their addiction to certainty and develop a growth mindset. Developed by one of the world's top-rated future of work thought leaders, AQ Plus Mindset is a powerful tool to help your employees embrace change, adapt faster, and grow on the job. Conveniently delivered to any smartphone or laptop and easy to digest 5 to 10 minute lessons. Managers can sit back and watch employee attitudes shift towards growth and innovation in just 30 days. Are you ready to help your employees thrive in this ever-changing, never-normal world? Encourage them to show more grit, resilience, adaptability, and unlock their potential? The journey to a growth-filled future starts with a growth mindset. Visit aqplusmindset.com or call 484-373-4300. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We're talking with Scott Abbott today. 
talking about business operating systems, resiliency, anti-fragility. And before the break, I got to let in with this. Scott, you, it, it obviously, this is about people. And it's about humanizing the exceptional. What are some of the traits or characteristics or, and hopefully one of those is growth mindset, which we, we just heard about. But what are some of the other skills and ability or traits that you've seen, you know, kind of across the board that people either need to develop or, you know, they're naturally gifted at it. It means to leverage that. Yeah. Well, by the way, props to your uh, little uh, explanation of, of one of the companies here, but, uh, but I love the words and, 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 and a lot of that is at the heart of, of your question and, and an answer. So, you know, when I do uh, mentoring, coaching, any intensive one-on-one work, I do start with, let's just make sure we're, we're embracing the four cornerstones to trust, authenticity, empathy, logic, and perseverance. And, and I might give a little additional, what specifically does that mean? And, and I genuinely believe if you start with that as the foundation, the protocol, if you will, the agreement, right? Expectations are kind of lazy. Agreements are more, I'm with you. And if you acknowledge that agreement, so the best way to go is expectation, agreement, acknowledgement. And if we acknowledge that those are the four cornerstones, that sets us on the right path. Um, But if you're looking to more of that you know, qualitative in addition to specific credentials around business acumen or a specific competency and skill in accounting or, or, or engineering, logistics, shipping, inventory, what have you, you know, growth mindset, a willingness, a readiness to, to learn, to listen, to evolve, right? We live in a society that's, that's pushing and promoting instant gratification. Uh, I think you've probably heard this one before. The destination is the journey evolution, not revolution. And, 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 and unfortunately, because <laughs> society and media is colliding with reality, and that reality is it takes time. And so intestinal fortitude, which is like perseverance, a, a, an element of, of being anti-fragile and resilient. So, so really, I think at the end of the day, it's a readiness and willingness to evolve, uh, a readiness and willingness to, to listen and learn we could go back to the mindset around custodials and stewardship and genuine, authentic willingness to, to, to lead with, with humility, but confidence. It, and I said earlier, and I'll say it again, I think this embracement of and both, knowing that typically the truth is somewhere in the middle and, and that it's a blend of all of the above. It's complicated. It takes time. But I think, you know, growth mindset, but just a realistic mindset at the same time is 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 critical to get you know from wherever you are to where you want to go be that in business work or life scott i want to start asking some questions now on the back of that regarding the future so we want you to put your nostradamus hat on get your crystal ball out because there are no wrong answers here but we want to hear what your predictions are for the future and specifically thinking about you know we, we cued the conversation to talk about how many people are remote working now Right. And Apple Vision Pro just came out this week, which is going to make it even more possible for people to be productive and do it in a healthier way, working from home where they're still connected with other people and new in different ways. What does this look like in the future when we're talking about operating systems for people? What are the things that maybe are going to be the same 
what are the things that you think are going to be different or possibly change? Yeah. So shout out to my brother, Mark. He's the founder and runs our software company, 90.io. And, and he's writing a couple of books, but, but most of them around the theme of work and, and the new age of work. And, and at the heart of this is this concept of work-life balance. That paradigm, I, I might even argue it's more of a paradox, if you know what I just meant by saying it that way, I think is absolutely going to shift. You know, I'm blessed, I'm privileged, I'm fortunate where I'm now at a place in my life now, you know, I've also busted my butt for 35 years to get here and I continue to bust my butt. I, I don't think I'll ever retire like my dad did. Mark and I talk about that all the time too. But, but this new life of virtual hybrid, you know, work from anywhere, respect and appreciate the systems, the structure of the protocol, but also be sensitive to the humans and, the, and, and, and style and taste, you know, it's, it's a challenge and an opportunity all at the same time. But I think the heart of my answer is, I, I think we might even need a new word or set of words with regard to work and, and this, this quote unquote theory of work-life balance. If you love what you do, and I, you've heard this, that you, that you never work a day in your life. Yeah, you know, man, there's some jobs out there that it's a, it's a grind. I mean, I still do jobs that I don't want to do, right? Back to being a custodian. I don't necessarily want to empty stinky trash and pick up puke and, and, and you know, take care of the, the, the gunk that I got to do, but I do it. In fact, to that last story, I just recently did. <laughs> and so, but, but, I, but I, think, I think schools have a big part of this and also have a big problem in this today and, and governments and, and companies. And, and it's a bigger picture, Jason, is my point here. The, the, the reality of the world today and going forward, while a lot of it, I think, is not going to change, let's not overhype that either, by the way. I think there's so much goodness about what already exists. Let's not throw the baby out the bathwater, as the expression goes. But, but I do think this, this dynamic, the fusion of work and life from where, who, how, when, uh, it's almost like we need a new voc vocabulary or a new way to describe things because I just think that's reality. So, so we talk about work-life balance, you mean, oh, you mean life? You, you, you with me, guys? And, and if you have a better, yeah. you have a term that I can say instead of work-life balance that fits better for what we think is the world going to? What do you I guess? don't. What, what, I what don't. Do you guys say? <laughs> I don't have one. All I know is it, it's felt like over the last four years, uh, my context is having four sons that are under the age of nine. <laughs> Every single day, you're just doing what you can to survive. But there are those moments, you know, where I think about the future, not for me, but for them. Like, what's it going to look like for them, you know, in 10 or 15 years when they're quote unquote 18 and able to enter the workforce? in some capacity, you know, are the types of things that they enjoy doing, will there be jobs for it? Or is AI going to be doing it 100% autonomously? Um, like if they want to be like a social media content manager, it's like, well, sorry, <laughs> hate to dash your dreams, but most of that's going to be automated by AI. And so you're talking about, you know, back to what you're saying, Scott, you almost feel like you need a new word for it. I totally agree. And I'm not sure what that word is. But it feels like this has been an exceptional time period of what we all collectively have gone through in the last four years and trying to trying to understand even what the next year holds. Who would have thought that this year would have had Apple Vision Pro with all of its capabilities and chat GPT? Just something new every week. Yeah. Yeah. 
Ira, what do you have to say? Well, I'll hyphenate it so it's one word and, and meets your qualification. Never normal. It, it And, you know, again, it probably needs more involvement than that. But when Jason was talking, it was like, what's the world going to be? It's going to be never normal. What are jobs going to be? Never normal. What are we going to do? Never, never normal. Now it's, it's, you know, what, you know, what are the functions in a never normal world? We're still figuring that out, but. Well, this- that's why I, I think to your point, what we need to teach better and what we need to focus on is, is, you know, people call it soft stuff. I don't think it's soft stuff. I think it's the hard stuff and the hardest, right? Power stuff. Attitude. Okay. You know, I've been a proponent of this concept called positive pragmatism. I don't want to be a cynic and I don't want to be an optimist. I want to be somewhere in the middle. And, and I think the, the duality of I need to work, I need a job, I need an income, I got to figure it out. And back to perseverance and, and anti-fragile and, you know, being able to fight the good fight and turn the other cheek. And, and that's where I'm going. I think if you, you know, I'm a cliche, metaphor, allegory, analogy kind of guy, guilty as charged. And you know why those are all around still? Because they still fit. And, and I think this goes back to context over code. Uh, we do it in all of our business operating system classes. We do it in our workshops. Boss Up, for example, my new company helping startups and small businesses implement 90OS, our proprietary flagship business operating system um, from 90. We spend two days, 14 plus hours, and we never touch code. It's all context. Now, we, we help them implement the context that goes into the code that has the content, right? You with me? But, but the code, the UX, UI, that's easy stuff. What's the hard stuff? This conversation, right? And how do we go from this conversation and make this literal? embed this into the very fabric of our culture so it tucks in and and oh that's what we call a operating system right guys right. and and as you know jason we've known each other for a lot of years god only knows my frustration back to activism i still have not perfected how do we position what a business operating system is and it isn't you know i've got a book called level up to pro and did a ted talk on it and i talk about a personal accountability system so, so I would just say, obviously, I've got my perspective of the world that, that I embrace doesn't make it everybody's. But I do believe to the question, to the heart of the issue, and, and moreover where we're going, if we can embrace and understand that we do need structure, we do need rigor, we need principles, we need rules, we need literal machinery, mechanics to drive, to, to go, to get from here to there. And we also need to embrace and understand the soft stuff, if you will, right? Your attitude, your temperament. And, and we got to figure out how to package this in. I'll tell you guys, back to work, one of, and, you, and these, this data may be somewhat off, but, but, but I'm just going to give you the ballpark. I read this not too long ago, and you talk about a concerning statistic. Gen X, and I'm on the higher end of Gen X, let's just say baby boomers, for all intents and purposes, we have five generations in the world and even in the workforce, right? Great generation, baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, and now Z. Well, I believe statistically speaking in the United States, Gen X is almost 50% the size of baby boomers and millennials. That's correct. And so what that means is our shelf life, because we're humans, is half the time in politics, in business, in religion, in healthcare, and if we are not stewards and custodians and passing it on, if we're not responsible for planting seeds under which the shade of the tree, we shall not sleep. And Jason, this is where I have a little bit of a problem on the initial concept you presented today that this company went out and hired a bunch of coaches and got rid of the other people. 
a coach in title only can actually be more dangerous than it can be beneficial. Trust me on this one. I spend my life in this area. Just because I wave a magic card that says thou art coach does not make me one. In fact, speaking of anti-fragile, I've seen a lot of people mess people up, maybe with good intentions, but they it's like pushing Humpty Dumpty and not pulling, knowing how to put them back together again. So, so we can go data all day long, but that's one, guys. You tell me that if we have half the shelf life in this one generation and we're not implementing paying it forward, being custodians to the next, and, and, and that group's not then getting the type of mentorship and coaching that it needs, if you think we got some issues now, and that actually is where I probably have more concerns is on that data point than a lot of the other ones that are out there in the world today. We, we just dove into a, a really ro- a robust <laughs> conversation here. Unfortunately, regretfully, we're almost out of time. What I would say, though, is when you're talking two things, when you're talking about kind of the new word or the new definition for work, and we're talking about generations, the shift is that we've moved from my generation as an older baby boomer of living to work, to work to live. And that sort of sums it up. And, And what does that look like? And what's that transition? The other part of that you mentioned about you'll probably never retire, either will I, at which Jason knows and most people know. But I, I heard this the other day. It's not about career retirement or, or retiring from your job. It's skill retirement. Is that there's skills we had that we need to retire. And then you go on the next phase, even if you're not working. There's just a whole new skill set you had. Uh, and the soft skills, we, you know, we grew up. I mean, soft skills were soft skills, you know, communication, team building, collaboration, uh, emotional intelligence was a soft skill. The new the new term for them is power skills. They're power skills, and they really are because it's what's going to differentiate them. Well, and to your point on this one, right, those transcend vocation per se. Oh, those no, transcend, do. I'm an engineer, I'm an HVAC implementer, I'm a, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, right? And that's why I think that term of soft is, is actually, it needs to be almost inverted to your point, I reckon. Yeah, before before we dive into the person to the our lightning round questions and some of the questions that Jason has for you, I always ask like to to kind of end you, this segment with one question, and the question is, what should we have asked you that we didn't? You know, I I, I, I go back to my my hope is that I I live, work, breathe, exist with this this mantra of positive pragmatism. But Jason, you said about ten minutes ago. I've been on this earth for a while. I've been blessed to work all over the world. I've seen dark days and wonderful days. I've been in the gutters and I've been at the top of the mountains. I, I, I'm a positive pragmatist, but but the question I'd ask me is what keeps me up at night? And and I am having more sleepless nights than I've had before. And what bothers me is, and to your point about anti-fragile, I think one of those is you do need to have a quote unquote convenient memory. You, you got to forget some things and not let them linger and metastasize and become bad things. But, but guys, the heart of this conversation has got me up at night and I can't save the world. Um, I'm often reminded of the, of the story about the old man walking down the beach and sees this kid putting back starfish. And he says, Hey kid, you ain't going to save all the starfish. He puts one back, looks up at him and says, yeah, but I saved that one and I'm going to save the next one. And I'm going to do the best I can with what I can do. And so for me right now, I know you guys might go, oh, really? How's this tie in? Business operating systems. I believe that if you look at, 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 at 
at businesses and companies, the fact that so many companies are 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 lackadaisical, almost ignorant, is 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 sad. Is it just just blows me away. And and I believe that if everybody runs a company better, be that small, big, large, mid-sized, what have you, right? Better things are going to happen. And, and I just think too many people, their egos, their paradigms, their paradoxes, just assume, and they're not good custodians. They're not stewards. And so for me right now, it's almost this activism of fighting the anti-systems people because they don't know any better and trying to say, hold on a second. Systems aren't wrong. It's the people behind them that are wrong. You follow me? And try to influence that because I believe if you're running on great systems, you can spend more time on taking care of all these other things that we know are problems and we need them to be taken care of. And everybody can be good coaches, but you can't be a great coach if you're not working from a good system. So what's the question? What keeps me up at night? And the fact that there's not enough companies running themselves as well as they can and should, because it's not that complicated. It doesn't need to be that long or expensive. They just got to get out of their own damn way. Good stuff, Scott. And that's a perfect segue into the lightning round. You've been very forthcoming today. You've been your authentic self, been telling some personal stories, and now we're just going to take it to a whole new level to let our listeners get to know you a little bit more. So let's start with this one. Favorite band or favorite song? Favorite band. You know, I've been a big U2 guy my whole life. Uh, I, I do have some, some, uh, some, 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 I'd love to have a couple of bourbons with, with Bono. I think sometimes he tends to speaking of, uh, you know, one side of the street and the other, but, but I'm just a big U2 guy, uh, my generation, so I grew up. So, and, and the list is long in terms of the songs that I rock out with right now. Lately, I've been a great Chris Stapleton fan. I've been doing most of my workouts, my runs and my, my drive time with Chris Stapleton. I was so inspired by his, uh, singing the national anthem at the Super Bowl. It was so freaking cool. So, uh, but U2, U2 is my, uh, Try to chew uh, number one. I love it. I love it. And both of those first time, those have been mentioned on the show. So kudos to you, Scott. Yeah. First time. First time. How about this? If there's one person in the history of the world that you could spend the day with, who would it be? Ah, you guys are going to make me cry because I actually was thinking about this earlier today. I know what my answer is, and it's not corny. It's not cliche. And thank God I'm going to see him next week. It's my dad. He's my hero. Fortunately, uh, 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 a well-doing uh, 80 mid-80s guy, but, um, you know, I know <laughs> I've heard this question before from the, you know, Jesus to, to, to Malcolm X and, 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 and everybody in between. And I, I think they're all great, but, but honestly, gang, my, my dad, I'll take any day of the week, any day of the year, anytime with my dad. I love that. And your dad would be proud to hear that. I'm sure. And that'll be a great trip that you have next week to spend time with him. And this this would kind of seem like an odd one on the back of that one, but now we got to switch gears here because you were a little fired up a few minutes ago. So we naturally have to ask, biggest pet peeve? What's something that just gets under your skin? Presumptions. Um, and second to that, assumptions. I go back to authenticity, empathy, logic, and perseverance. And if you embrace those four, you can't hide. You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't overly attack. If you if you don't do that, then you become presumptive and presumptions lead to arrogance and arrogance leads to foolishness and all of the above. So I think and, and hopefully you'll see under the rugs. Check around the corner. Don't be presumptuous. Don't just assume. That said, I still believe in the Pareto principle as well. You get 90 percent data, 90 percent affirmation, 90 percent facts and figures. What the hell did we give you an opinion for? <laughs> so, so there's no such thing as perfection on this one. So there's a science and an art to that. 
but yeah, I hate when people are just presumptuous or assumptuous without, without knowing what they should and doing the work that they should. Got it. And last one, got to ask this one. What's at the top of your bucket list? Hey, Jason, you know, I'm not going to lie. And, and this goes back to Goethe and, and Gandhi and many people that I've read and been inspired by. Mother Teresa, if you truly believe and have a passion bordering on an obsession with what you're doing, why you're doing and where you're going. And, and, I, and I've said it half a dozen times and, and sorry if it comes off as if I've tried to plug something I haven't. But 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 I believe genuinely sooner than later, if, if startups, small companies, whether you're a, a five and dime retail store or a tech firm or a HVAC company or a plumbing supply shop, the faster, better, stronger you put in a operating system to bring together all of these various elements that people need to to, to be responsible for and running a good company. I, I promise our GDP will double. I promise. People will sleep better at night. Relationships will be better. Marriages will be stronger. Racism and 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 all this bad stuff. I, I'm not kidding. Stronger, better, and and more specifically built for you. Operating systems will 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 liberate us in ways that you know you can only imagine. Because right now we can only imagine because it's not a reality. So so I'm driven by what I do. I'm passionate about my my job, my life, my my world. And and sure, I, I don't mind a triple bottom line. I like income too, but 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 the the rhyme and reason for it, as as Simon Sinek says, uh, it's absolutely my just cause today. Awesome, Scott. Well, we can't thank you for being with us enough today and sharing your expertise and wisdom on these things. Again, folks, to reach out and connect with Scott, you can reach him on LinkedIn, Scott Abbott. Um, you also can um, check him out at Scott Abbott ABC, um, Stratacos, uh, Boss Up is his latest company. Uh, that just launched earlier in May, focused on building, bringing, building business operating systems to small companies. Check him out and learn out, learn more about all the work that he's doing to help make that become a reality, the things that he just shared. But Scott, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm going to send it back over to Iris. We get ready to close up. Yeah, I appreciate it, Scott, very much. It's great to, great to meet. Hopefully uh, we'll meet in person one of these days and say hello to your dad. Tell him uh, Googleization Nation says hello to him. Thank you. Ira, Jason, thank you for having me. Thank you for all the shows you've done, what you're doing. I know you got a great heart and purpose, cause, passion behind this as well. So keep it going. Kudos. And, and thank you very much. See you Thanks, guys. Thanks, Scott. We covered a lot of ground there, Ira, we did. Um, in, in 57 minutes. What were some things that stood out to you today? Well, I, I like this. There's a few snippets. And, and I always like the quotes, the things that are memorable. The one was where, he's, where Scott started with a quote from Isidore Sharp, uh, CEO of Four Seasons, systemize the predictable, humanize the exceptional. That I, I yeah. had to look it up because I missed the first part when he said it. An accident that everybody has a, a business operating system. But I love the accidental OS. <laughs> yeah, accidental lot, OS, right? A, a lot of it is there. <laughs> Talked a little bit about the uh, custodian you know, fits in line with servant leadership. So that'll resonate with a lot of people. Your company is not equal to your business. People use those interchangeably. And um, and, and the final one that I, I jotted down was convenient memory. <laughs> <laughs> right. I love that. Yeah, those were several of the same ones that I wrote down. One additional one for me that's really going to stick is discipline equals freedom. 
he mentioned this several times that unfortunately the word discipline has gotten a, a almost a pejorative kind of context to it now that that having a set of rules or guidelines or things somehow can be restrictive but if, when it comes to business if you don't have those in place then it's really hard to achieve the vision in order to be able to provide for the people who are working inside the company. And so it, it's, it really is an ecosystem where everything has to be working together. And what we know, not just from the military, but in all aspects of life is that requires some discipline. If we want to be physically healthy in our lives, it requires discipline. It requires going to the gym on days when we want to use the excuse of not feeling like it. It requires sometimes being able to say no to certain drinks or certain foods that we know may not be good for us. And those same type of principles apply in business. And so that was one that really stuck with me was the whole concept of discipline can mean freedom um, when it comes to how we operate and run businesses. But uh, we want to thank you, Googleization Nation, for tuning in today. If you haven't liked and subscribed on your favorite podcast platform, please do so. You can also do the same on YouTube. Um, we're really growing our presence there, and we thank you for following us on, on that platform as well. But until next time, I'm Jason Cochran signing off. And I'm Ira Wolf. Thanks very much for listening or watching to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Uh, as Jason said, if you're, if you're watching this on YouTube, please uh, subscribe, like, share, put some comments. Or if you're listening on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or your favorite podcast, please do the same. Uh, our audience is growing. On YouTube, we're actually up over 8,000 subscribers. So we're excited about that. And uh, so thanks, everyone. And until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans. Thanks for listening to Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. This show was produced and edited by Hilton Productions.